Yeah, hello everyone and welcome to the eighth episode of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. In today's episode, I speak with Anthony Jones, who is the Group CEO of Lynx Cargo Care Group. I think you'll find this uh, interview particularly useful because he, Anthony does uh, take the time to share with us uh, his journey from starting out as an operator in the business to all the way through to where he is now, where ultimately he is responsible for three and a half thousand people. He also takes the time to share uh, some family uh, implications of what it takes to be a leader and I found it great uh, chatting with Anthony and I know you will uh, enjoy the interview. So happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Welcome, Anthony, to the, the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, be a part of it so that listeners have a little bit more uh, context about you and uh, the role you're in now. Can yep. you take a moment and just give us a, a little bit about you and uh, Lynx Cargo Care? Yeah, so uh, I'm Anthony Jones. I'm the group CEO of Lynx Cargo Care. Lynx Cargo Care has been around now for about uh, 14 months. Uh, we we'll, were formed out of the uh, Asiano sale transaction, formerly named Patrick, part of the Patrick Balkan General um, Businesses. And we... Uh, rebranded ourselves as we had to shed the Patrick brand. We're a company that's formed over a hundred years, so got a hundred years of history, but it's quite unique that we're almost like a startup. So we operate across four brands with Lynx, Geelong Port, C3, and our auto care services business um, operating in Australia and New Zealand. Okay, fantastic. All right, so uh, uh, I'd like to take you back. Yep. To your very first uh, leadership role in your leadership journey. Uh, what was the role? Who was it with? Can you give us any context about that? Yeah, so my first uh, my first leadership role was, uh, was with Patrick Rail. And when I got that opportunity, I was actually a, a stevedore at the time um, with Patrick down at Port Botany. Uh, and Patrick Rail had just started up. So um, I was quite interested and I'd done a fair bit of um, wharfy work on the rail siding at Botany. And Patrick Rail was just in its genesis years of starting up its rail operation in Sydney. And they were looking for an assistant operations manager. There was just two of us. So the operations manager and then the assistant operations manager. And uh, I put my hand up and I was successful in the role. Um, so that involved... Yeah, it was a Monday to Friday role, so it went away from the shift work, so there was some attraction there. It was a significant pay decrease, though, for me. And I look back on those things now, and I think, you know, sometimes you've got to take a step back to go forward. But it, it was just an, an, an opportunity for me to go into a leadership role, learn, be challenged. That was what the motivator was. It wasn't necessarily about going into a leadership role. It was about learning and uh, being challenged to, to do more. Um, and uh, so did that and got to run a full P&L, got to manage customers, got to manage operations. So it was just a great opportunity um, to go into something that was so diverse with only the two of us. It was either um, survive or, uh, or we'd dwindle away. So 
really nothing like the the necessity of uh, survival to 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 grow mm-hmm. so and how many people reported to you in that role uh, none oh so it was literally <laughs> just yeah, you two it was just uh, so when I, when i say none there was a, a group of contractors okay. so all our rail operations were contracted out um and also our terminal operations at Unora were contracted out as well um, to a company called Pactainers. Um, so whilst it wasn't a direct reporting line, there were definitely management things that I had to do. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting lesson and fair to say I was quite juvenile in my, <laughs> <laughs> my experience. Yeah. Um, and as you do in those, uh, as you do in those, you, you tend to, do the wrong things and learn by what you do wrong and I think probably the lesson I learnt most there is it's more about the people than, than myself you know status and status and position doesn't get things done people in getting behind people and people getting behind you is what gets things done so, yeah. yeah can you share any of the mistakes that you you did make in that role yeah I think I think the naivety was probably where I came unstuck. I, I was quite young. I was, uh, I was like 23, I think, at that stage. So I was pretty young. Um, and I think because I, you know, I was working in a heavily regulated industry, rail industry, and you think because of a, a business's name, like I, I'm not going to give you a specific example here, but I think some of the things that I did wrong was just because I thought, well, Patrick would get things done as opposed to forming genuine relationships with people and trying to work with people to get things done like the rail authorities and things like that. So, and realising that you can push and push and push as hard as you want with some people, but if you don't go down and sit down with them and tell them what you're trying to do and bring them along, they could make and break you. So knowing that those genuine relationships and things like that and building rapport with people go, goes a long way, that was probably the, the biggest lesson for me. Okay. And what about any uh, successes from that role? My successes in that was probably probably more a personal point of view that I, I got to really appreciate a P&L. You know, so I'd gone from being a, a stevedore, getting my weekly paycheck, to actually then going and running a business and understanding, you know, the microeconomics of that business right the way from invoicing. Um, right the way through to balancing the P&L at the end of the month. So you name it, we did it. And that was probably my success that I was able to adapt, grow, learn new things um, and continue to, to grow in that role. Okay. And was there any one really big learning that stood out for you from that very first role? Don't ever be surprised by what you can do. You know, if you put your mind to it, you will learn. You know, and I've got a saying that I that I like is, uh, no matter what role you go into, in that every time you step into a new role, there's that level of, you know, um, where you're concerned or you're you've got that trepidation to go into a new role. I call it jumping into the deep end um, of the pool, and you just put your big flippers on and you kick like crazy, is what I like to say. So at some stage, you'll get to the shallow end where you're then ready for your next challenge or you become comfortable in that role and I think the big learning for me was that um, and was it during this role or another role that you decided that leadership was for you yeah I I, I don't know whether I actually ever and probably to this day I don't know whether I actually said 
leadership's for me or okay. I'm driven by that. I, you know, and I love the question when people used to ask you in interviews, where do you see yourself in five years? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know, gainfully employed and enjoying what I do yeah. and making a difference. And every step that I've taken has been about that. How do I challenge myself? How do I make sure that what I'm doing is contributing? Um, and how am I growing to be a better person um, in myself, but also helping others grow as well? So, yeah, I don't think I've ever said, right, leadership's for me. Okay. I'm going to be a leader. Yeah, I just wanted to continue to be challenged. Okay. And how long were you in that role? Uh, two years I was in that role. Two years. Yeah. Okay. So you've had your first taste of leadership and uh, what move did you make and why? Uh, So at that point in time, Patrick and Toll bought Pacific National um, and they formed Pacific National, the other two government railways. Um, I was fortunate enough to know the old terminal manager from from Port Botany, a gentleman by the name of Bob Barnes and Bob had gone into Pacific National as part of the transaction on the Patrick side. Bob reached out to me one day and said, would you be interested to move to Melbourne? And we are just about to get married, my wife and I. And uh, I said, Bob, I've just got to deal with something really important. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you probably got me at the right time. We uh, were getting married in October. And I said to him, New Year, I'd definitely. And he said, look, we're, we're looking for someone to come down to Melbourne and be the Melbourne Steel Terminal Manager. And... Uh, Anyway, I was successful in the role and uh, moved down there in March, so pretty much six months after we got married. Okay. And can you provide a little bit of context about that role? Yeah, so so with the background of me previously being in Patrick Rail, you know, young kid, thought he knew rail, (laughs) going into a a true rail environment. It was a small operation. Um, It was an operation with a team of about 14 people directly reporting to me with coordinators that ran the steel terminal um, and the steel terminal facilitated the trade of blue scope and one steel um, product being moved down to western port but also all over australia so product coming out of port kembla triangulated down through melbourne gauge transferred to go down to to western port but then also shuttled onto other trains to go to adelaide and perth so we moved a lot of tons there was a lot of tons of steel um, but all steel trains and uh so had that small leadership team and we also facilitated the port trains that went down um, to um, East Swanson Dock for the Patrick Rail Land Bridge train. Um, so there was a bit of familiarity there for me, but I knew nothing about rail, I quickly learned. Yeah. So, And it was probably my first real role of managing a heavily unionised workforce. Um, so... Having come from Port Botany, I obviously worked in a unionised workforce, um, but managing a unionised workforce where the motivation is not necessarily the same drivers as what you may have in management was a real learning curve for me and and one which, you know, one of the best lessons my father ever gave me was treat people the way you want to be treated yourself, Anthony. And uh, it's the one thing that's been the beacon for me as a leader and with that, I was able to build a rapport with the employees and show them that the things that we we're trying to do were for their benefit, not for, you know, the company's corporate greed, but it was actually for the benefit of the employees. And we made a fair bit of change there and got some high 
higher efficiency, which actually improved their stability of employment. So again, you know, there's a, a gentleman who's still a friend of mine today in Bartlett who uh, recounted a story to me of my first few weeks there. And he thought, he said to me, Jonesy, we thought you were going to be a soft touch. You know, we thought, you know, this young 24 year old guy, we thought we we're just going to run over. He said, but you stood your digs on the things that you thought you knew you had to, and uh, you earn our respect through that. And at no time did I treat anybody any differently to the way I would have wanted to be treated myself. And I think that just let me anchor on what I knew was right and wrong. And um, because you'd had been a previous leadership role, did you find it easy, do you think, to move into another leadership role? No, probably still because, like, because that step was truly going to managing a, a definite team of people, not a subcontractor. Managing contractors is very different because yep. there's a contract. <laughs> managing direct employees is, comes with its own um, differences and challenges. And so, um, you know, that, that definitely was a great learning space for me. Yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot there. Great. And are there any uh, particular leadership skills that you think you brought to that role? Oh, I think the skills, they're still the same skills that I hold today. It's, its again, treating people the way you want to be treated. And to me, that's in honesty and integrity and, and listening, you know, being a sound listener. I think too often we think as leaders we've got the answers, but actually the best answers come from the floor. If you just empower people to, to work with you and to give you the answers, they'll freely give them because they, they want a voice, they want to be heard, they want to be respected. Uh, so that was probably the lessons that I learned. And any significant successes which stand out for you in that role? It's casting my memory a fair way back. Really. <laughs> yeah. I think surviving. Survival. <laughs> surviving one, my first year of marriage in, yes. a, in a foreign place, yeah. uh, but also a uh, surviving all the weekend calls. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. And why did you decide to leave that role? I got another opportunity in the Melbourne Freight Terminal. So okay. the same region, um, same terminal environment, but the Melbourne Intermodal Freight Terminal, which at the time was the largest freight terminal for Pacific National. So okay. I became the operations manager of Melbourne Freight Terminal. Any context around that? How many people reported to you in that role? Uh, there was 120 okay. employees. And I had uh, five shift managers, four yard coordinators that reported to me. It was a big step up. You know, the old saying in Pacific National was Melbourne sneezed, everyone else got a cold. So if you uh, you got it wrong in Melbourne, it, the, the whole network felt it because everything ro- rotated through Melbourne. So it was a big learning curve. But again, uh, I had some great mentors, some people who really, you know, got beside me and, and showed me and helped me go through. The technical aspect was probably the bit that I had to learn the most. Yeah, and so learning technical train plans and dealing with those complex situations, but also the customer aspect in the intermodal business was very different. So I went from two customers to sort of 40. So a very different sort of environment and making sure you're managing all those those facets of the operation and not just people, not just profitability, but also the customer aspects and the safety aspect. So yeah, it was a real big learning curve. So I know you've had a couple of roles in between uh, then and the role now, so I'd like to fast forward to now. Yep. 
in terms of uh, specifics are around links, number of people, number of sites. What, yeah, so links, links is an organisation, as I said, spread across Australia and New Zealand. 3,800 employees uh, in the business operating out of around 70 operational sites spread diversely across um, Australia and New Zealand. Quite a wide diversity. Yeah. Um, so we have four operational businesses um, and brands, um, AutoCare Services, which is our new and uh, used car transportation and processing business, C3, which is our forestry and stevedoring business in Australia and New Zealand. So all forestry related in Australia, but similar to our Lynx business in New Zealand where it, it does multiple products. So Lynx is our uh, stevedoring and transport business in, an, in Australia, operating across road, rail, uh, and sea. And then we own 50% of Geelong Port, uh, the port facility in Geelong. So they're our four brands, um, very, very diverse. So mm-hmm. from one day I could be in a forest watching trees being harvested to be exported to Japan, to the next day being in Geelong Port, you know, watching you know, fertiliser being unloaded or watching a new car being transported out of our web, web dock facility in, in auto care, um, being transported to somebody who's just bought a new Toyota, for instance. So, so yeah, it's quite, a, it's quite a good business, quite a diverse business. But I think the principles still remain the same no matter the diversity of, of um, business. Um, leadership is, you know, as you say, leadership is, leadership's leadership, you know, um, Whilst I haven't said that I want to go into a leadership role, those same traits do apply and apply you well no matter what leadership role you're in. Do you ever think about the fact that uh, 3,800 employees now versus that that role you spoke about for a 14? Yeah. There's a pretty big gap there. Yeah, I do. I Yeah, I do. It's a... It's a yeah, you know, I'm very humbled, to be honest. I'm, I, I still pinch myself, Julian, about where I've gotten to. Yeah. Um, it's a very humbling but also daunting at times that my role is to make sure those people stay gainfully employed and um, it's with that passion I do wake up every morning to make sure that we're a viable business and I'm supplying food to those 3,800 families. Um, you know, our survival is their survival so I want to see this business grow for the benefit so we can make that 4,800 employees, you know, we want to continue to grow, but it is daunting. It is, uh, but again, the same traits that hold you, that held me back then, hold me where I am. So the one thing I can say to people listening to this is be true to yourself. Don't change just because of the size of your remit. Be true to yourself. Yes, obviously you get further competence, but who you are is who you are. Don't try to be someone different just because of the size of the role you're in. And uh, what are you learning about yourself as a leader now? Because it's a pretty big scope you've got. What am I learning? You probably need to ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what am I learning about myself? I, I'm learning that I am resilient. I'm learning that. I'm, and I'm, And again, for the people listening to this, resilience is a really important thing. I'm learning that uh, it's not through me that things get done. You know, the further you go up, the, the more dispersed your team becomes, it is about empowering people. Um, and I said that before, but it's so true that you know, a, a leader is just the fruit of his team. It's not his or her team. It's not 
it's not anything more than that. We're here to provide guidance and empowerment, not anything more. Um, too often, I think you see people who think success is by their own action, where it's actually team. We're playing a team sport at the end of the day and getting the best out of your team will get the best for you. So I'm learning that, learning that work-life balance is very, very important. I can't believe that, you know, I look at my kids and, you know, how quickly they grow up. So that's really important to me that work-life balance and making sure you've got time out. You know, the success won't be built in a day. It'll be built over a long period of time and sustaining yourself through those things is really, really important. So I often will make the time and say, no, that time in my diaries for my family and, you know, that's probably a real key call out for me that you've got to prioritise the things that are important to you. Um, work being one of those for me, but it's not the main priority for me. And how do you do that? How do you prioritise? Yeah, it's a challenge. Like, it, it's definitely a challenge. I've got a young family. I've got four young kids. I've got a beautiful wife. My wife allows me to do what I do. Prioritising is hard. I do a lot of travel, but I block out time in my diary to say that time's mine. That, and so Ruby, my assistant, helps me with that. I'll work from home on days where I've had a big travel week, for instance, or a big travel month. You know, there's nothing better than coming home and watching your son run straight into your arms and just not let you go. So I make sure that they they get the best of their dad as well. So it's a really important part for me. And have you ever taken the time to think about what your strengths are, so things you're good at and maybe the things you're not so good at? Yeah, so... I think it's a really good call out that you've got to be aware of what your strengths are and you've got to be more aware of what your weaknesses are. And having a team around you that can call those out is really, really important. So get people around you that are your confidants that you can actually, they can pull you aside and say, hey, you're aware of what you just did then, you're aware of the dynamic that just played out, you're aware of this behaviour. So that that's really important. It's been important for me. My strengths are, I think, trying to empower people, really giving people that accountability and, and trust. It's probably, yeah, more the softer skills of, you know, that, that empowering people. My, my weaknesses are probably more, you know, a technical front around financial, financial backing, having had the way I've grown up in the business. I know how to make a P&L work, but if you got me to talk about certain acronyms in accountancy world, that's where my weakness is. I'm working on that. I'm learning a lot, but I've compensated by having a great team around me and being open enough to say, hey, can you run me through that? Because I wasn't quite sure how that worked because we offset each other. You know, some of the skills I have, they don't. So being aware of that. I think uh, the real thing for me, another key strength for me is having a real appreciation of what our frontline people do day to day. That's really been a key enabler for me to appreciate how we can make things work or how we can't or on a safety basis what we should do and what we shouldn't do so that's a real strength of mine you know appreciation and actually you know I used to drive forklifts I used to drive straddles and cranes so having that real appreciation of what our front line which are the majority of our staff do and you mentioned before about you know having a team of confidants around you people that will prepared to call you out yeah. how did you go about finding those people and articulating to them that you as the group CEO are happy for them to say hey hold on a minute mm. I think it's uh, yeah it's a real <laughs> it's a let your veil down moment let your let your guard down moment 
So it doesn't obviously just happen day one and you walk in and you say, hey, uh, you just tell me what you really think. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. um, some people will do that, right? And that's okay. Because you need to hear that as a leader. The worst thing I think for me, the, the behaviours I struggle with are when people don't call it as it is. But behind their back, behind a, a person's back, be it yours or somebody else's, they're saying other things. How did I go about doing it? I think there's some people who just would build a genuine, genuine rapport. Um, there's been a level of openness. Um, and it's been a natural, a natural relationship where that's developed. All of my team I inherited, so we've been able to develop that. Some of them were my peers too, so that maybe that's helped with that. But I think it's just being open to hearing that. You know, when reacting in the right way, giving people that safe place to actually raise their concerns, not firing off, well, that's just crap, or responding emotionally, responding in the right way that they're coming from the right place because most people will give you something because they want to see something improve. So if you approach it in that right way, you can get this really good dynamic that starts to happen where people will actually call out behaviour that they're worried about if, they, if it's anchored back to the values that you as a business and you as a person ascribe, then it's going to come from the right place. If it's outside of those values, then you'll be able to identify that it's not the right feedback that's coming back to you. But I think it's just that natural relationship and trust that you can build those relationships on. It takes time. Yeah. Definitely takes time. But uh, very rewarding. Hmm. So I'd like to uh, move on to sort of some general views on leadership, but start off by asking you about uh, what's one of the biggest myths you think exists around leadership? Uh, That if you don't have the experience in that role, you can't do that role. I think that's the biggest myth. And I think the myth actually probably sits two parts in the person who's appointing, but also the person who's going for the role. Often you'll hear someone say, but I don't have experience of that. I've never done that before. I think my call out to them is, or did you know the role that you're in today? Did you know that before you went into that? Um, and like my you know, deep end of the pool analogy, you will learn. You know, Smart people are smart people. They will learn and you, know, you navigate things and things that are new you'll adopt to and you'll grow and you'll learn in those. And it's so rewarding when you actually do do that. So I think the biggest myth is, yeah, um, you've got to have had experience in that or you've got to have been a 20-year logistics person and they've got to have come from logistics to go into that leadership role. No, that's just that's nonsense. I think the diversity of thought and experience is really, really key to us changing dynamics within the workplace. So that's probably my biggest myth, I think, that applies. Okay. And uh, so let's start with how would you describe yourself as a leader right now? I, I, I often say I'm laid back, like I, I try to portray a level of calm to my people um, because I do believe people need an environment where there is stability but also urgency around the things that need to be urgent. So I think I myself as a leader is I'm open. I try to portray a level of calm for the business, stability, but direct as well. And when I say open, anyone can come to me and talk to me. Uh, I want to foster an environment where anyone in the business can talk to the group CEO because, again, I'm just Anthony Jones. Like, there's nothing special about me. And often people will say, but he's the group CEO. Yeah, but <laughs> so what? So I've been very fortunate and been afforded opportunity to get where I am today. And 
it's a tough question to ask me, Julian. It's not a natural thing for me to answer that. Mm. But I think, you know, openness, trust and uh, providing stability is, is probably how I'd describe myself. Okay. And do you think that allows you to get the most out of your team? Yeah, like I, like I manage my team differently depending on who it is. And if you're out there listening, um, they probably know that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, certain people need, we're all wired differently. Certain people need different things, need support in different areas. Some people don't need support at all. They're very happy and they're, as long as you supply them the right direction and the, the vision, they're just happy to go off and execute that and check back in with you where there's others that need your support daily. And I manage accordingly to that. And I very much give my team the autonomy through clear direction, clear accountabilities and clear deliverables on what I want them to do. I'm a hands, I'm not a micromanager. I, by description of that just before, I, I like to empower them to run their businesses. Doing that, getting the right levels of work through the business actually frees me up to work on the bigger things that are the exciting things about, as I said, growing our business from 3,800 3, to 4,800. That's the stuff I've got to be working on, the bigger bigger ticket stuff. So, yeah, that's how I go about things, I guess. Okay. Uh, I'm always curious about any methodologies, frameworks, models or tools that leaders are interested in or use. Is there anything you've sort of uh, comes to mind or that you use at the moment? I'm a big believer in levels of work, as you just heard me sort of reference it. I think too often you see the breakdown of leadership structures where people, frighten, you know, defray those 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 lines. So I'm very conscious of that, getting people to work at the right levels and the organisation really pumping the way it should. Because that not only has an effect, you know, say for instance, if I was jumping down to a GM level within a, a business that actually disempowers that leader, which then disempowers potentially the next level and you just get this cascade effect. So I'm a big believer in levels of work. Safety um, is a big tool and big thing for myself. So it's always been something which is probably a strength of mine, a passion of mine. But in regards to tools, they're pretty simple there. Set the accountabilities, be clear about them, clear about the deliverables, measure people, hold people accountable, but be open. Um, that I, I don't, yeah, I don't have any any cookbook that I'm reading at the moment, yeah. Julian. Okay. That I could that I could throw at you. Okay. Um, my wife says that I often uh, read too much at work, so I don't get the time to read much at home. Okay. She's always trying to put a novel in front of me. But okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm pretty simple in that way. I try to keep it simple, mate. Okay. That's really what I try to do. So I wouldn't mind exploring that levels of work a bit. How do you roll that out to your team so that they know that that's what you want and do you expect them to be able to roll that down to levels beneath them? Yeah, so we've got a – it starts at goal setting and things like that. So we've got a performance framework um, that we we roll out. We do do reviews with our team six monthly, but it starts with the annual – where we set goals, we set clear deliverables. They've got to be tangible. So they know what good looks like. They know what bad looks like. They know what I want them personally to deliver, but also their organisation to deliver. So it starts with that. Um, they then cascade those down that are relevant to their team. And they've got to be tangible. So they've got to be things that people can actually put into practice and actually have something to do with delivering them. So that's probably the first way in which we I, I do that, the levels of work. 
The other piece that I do is, you know, a business rhythm. So making sure that we've got regular meetings, setting, you know, around our safety, around our financial and lead team meetings and things and uh, just setting clear expectations around what I expect to see at our lead team level and, again, what I expect to see within the businesses. And that's up to them to, to build that framework. And it's being conscious of when you see a fire, not jumping into the fire, but asking the questions about the fire from a distance. So I don't know whether that was a really good analogy, but I think too often we can jump in and try to be the hero and save the day. And you know, for myself as an operator coming through, that was probably a, a trap that I had through my career as I've stepped up because you step up from a role that you know you can do and you're above that and then you want to jump back down. So I think just calling those behaviours out and saying, I don't want you to do it. Like I'm asking you the question for you to ask of your team. I don't want, it's not my expectation that you write that report for me. I just want you to do a report on the financial analysis of this, for instance, or, you know, but I think just being clear about that and being clear about, because often people think when you ask them, ask them to do something that you're actually asking them to do it, but it, it might not be, it might be their team. So I think, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in levels of work, but it, it's making sure people are functioning at the right level. They've got the right levels of authority, right delegations authority, which then flows to the accountability. So without the delegations, you can't have the accountability. Okay, great. And what would you say your biggest leadership challenge is right now? My biggest leadership challenge at the moment is looking to the future whilst also making sure the present is being managed properly. Okay, and how do you manage that challenge? That's an interesting one. Yeah, so it's... Because um, our business, there's there's some challenges in our markets that we're operating in, so very bulk-related bulk markets. And again, probably to that fire analogy, calling out the levels of work to say the horizons on which you're working on person X should be here not where you are at the moment here, you know, back back in the today horizon. So it's, again, making time for that long-term strategic work and not just making time and putting it in your diary, but actually working on it. So you've got a very clear, definitive plan on where you're taking the business for the future. People understand it, they get it. But also, again, holding people and having clear, tangible metrics that people know what they've got to deliver on today and getting the people that are at the transactional level to deliver today and then those people working in those strategic horizons working on the right strategic horizons. It, it's challenging um, at the moment because we're trying to navigate through and make sure you don't drop the glass ball at the same time as you're trying to build a bigger bigger one. So yeah. um, that's probably my biggest leadership challenge at the moment. And how do you look to build capability within the business? Yeah, um, good, good question. So capability is at the heart of every business. Um, so um, building capability both can come from within or it can come from outside, you know, and the, the challenges are always different at any point in time, but we are really trying to bring in new people. Um, unashamedly, we want to attract the best people and we want them to come for the right reasons. People don't just come for dollars. They come because they want to get 
experience and they want to get working in an environment that they feel supported and those types of things. So, um, look, I think the, the way in which we go about it is giving people opportunity, talking to them about the vision, the story and where we're going to go, the values and what we're driven by. Um, but unashamedly, Julian, we're out there in the market trying to get the best people because um, that's what I know brings success. Okay. It's all through people. And uh, one of the things I always interested in hearing people's views on is networking yep. because it's often something that leaders don't necessarily think is in their remit. It's uh, That's the sales team or that's the account managers. So how do you go about networking? And I've got a great team. Uh, I'm probably one of those people who uh, <laughs> networking. <laughs> yeah. anyway. I don't have time to go to all that networking stuff, but that, to be honest, is where my role is now moving to. It's very much moved out of a transactional role to being a role of public face, um, growing that profile of Lynx Cargo Care. That's my job. And whilst it's not natural, I brought people in who are brilliant at it, well-connected. They know the mediums to get that across getting me to do great things like public speaking events and all of those things. So networking is, as you say, it's probably the under most underrated thing for a business and you know, political networks, all those sort of things. That's where we're we're making sure that people know who Lynx Cargo Care is and if people don't know who you are, you're not even getting a ticket to the game. So the networking thing, if anything, can just bring you to the game. So people go, hey, are you aware of these people? And that's for any organisation, so it can't be underplayed. It's uh, it's really, really important. So I've got a couple of things, being more deliberate about it myself. We've got a um, corporate team that, that actually helps with all, with all of that for me, um, with my public profile, but more the, the business's public profile and just being very deliberate um, and getting out and about in more of these events and having our voice heard um, in that. And the other thing that I am uh, a bit passionate about myself is mentoring yep. and curious on your views on mentoring and have you had one, are you one and how you see it? So I'm not actively mentoring, so answer the last one first, not actively mentoring anyone at the moment, um, not officially, um, but uh, again, my door's always open and I do, you know, I feel I mentor my direct reports, but I'm always happy to have a chat with people about challenges I face through my career or the big steps that I've made because a lot of the questions people ask is how did you make the step from front line to management how did you do that how did you find that how did you make the step from operations manager you know and keep going up and up how did you do that so giving insight into people and giving people confidence it's not it's no different to any new role you start you know the butterflies in the stomach and all those things occur like everyone gets them and if they tell you they know then they're probably not taking the role seriously enough you know that's uh that's some of the stuff that i do around mentoring mentoring is extremely important um even if it's just an unofficial person that you can sound off it doesn't have to be industry related it could be somebody from your family background or a friend or somebody who's got experience with certain things but you don't have to have all the answers and I think too often we think we've got to have all the answers, but we don't. And having a mentor that you can sound off who may have had that experience is just second to none. So there's a couple that stand out for me and, you know, they really shoulder beside me and, and help me navigate some really tricky stuff. And without them, I probably wouldn't have, you know, got the opportunities I've got today. It's really, it's really important to make sure you've got the sound 
bunch of people that you can beat one or a bunch of people that you can sound off. So, yeah. Okay, and you're still in contact with any of them now? Or? Yeah, yeah. Like, my father, to be honest, Julian, is probably my biggest mentor. Okay. Um, you know, again, unfortunately, Dad's not around anymore, but the things that he would... He's a very wise man and a very, um, very personable man. And um, the saying goes in Patrick that he, he was HR before HR even existed. So he just had those softer skills and he cared about people and had a genuine sincerity about people. So... Dad was a really good sounding board for me in those Genesis years of my, my management career. And then as I progressed through, there was probably more technically proficient people that, that helped me, you know, be it an EA negotiation that was turning the wrong way or whatever. People just giving you that second point of view is what's the worst thing that can happen here, Anthony? Or let me share a story I've had with you or, you know, those sort of things are really important to give you that level of confidence that you wouldn't otherwise have. So it can't be underplayed. So there's a couple of people that are trusted for me that I'll pick up the phone if I need to. Um, but yeah, it's really important. And uh, so moving ahead to the, the future now, so what, what does the, the future hold for you? Is this the, uh, where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> Slight version <laughs> of it. <laughs> um, what is the future? Look, I, I really am, I'm, really enjoying my, my role at the moment. I, um, I'm learning a hell of a lot myself. I couldn't have, I couldn't have envisaged the journey a year and a bit ago, year and a half ago now, really. So the vision for me is to live on the vision for Lynx Cargo Care, spend time with my family um, yeah. and uh, enjoy what I'm doing. If I keep doing those things and I'm able to deliver those things, I'll be very satisfied, you know, and yeah, that's it's pretty simple. I don't know where I want to be in five years. I've never really looked that far out. I just uh, want to make sure I'm growing as a as a person, but delivering for the business as well. And delivering for the business means growing others and and growing the the business for for the future. So. Okay. And how do you continue your development as a leader? Is it something you actively do or try to do? Yeah. Look, I, I do. Um, I have been like. A, to my weaknesses point, I've been doing um, a little bit more around finance. I'm probably getting so much development in my current role. Um, <laughs> anyway, experience so trumps everything. On, yeah, a little bit on, is on the. A lot of my a lot of my learning's been on the job. It's been through. Yeah, okay, I'll do that, and through that piece about mentorship. You know, if you're not sure, just ask. Somebody's probably had that experience, and people are willing to give up their ideas. You know, they're willing to give their experience over so one of the other things is um i sit on a fair few boards now so aicd so okay doing the company directors course so that's that's another point of learning but just making sure that you are developing yourself and be it through you know if you're getting to a point in your career where you're you're standing still then question yourself what more should you be doing i don't think i'm standing still at the moment no definitely (laughs) definitely learning a lot but i think if i if I had more time, I'd be definitely doing a lot more develop, career development. So if I was at the shallow end of the pool, yep. I'd probably be looking for a bit more career development. I'm getting so much out of my current role, but that's my challenge to people. If you think you're standing still, take those quiet times to learn because you might be jumping in the deep end yeah. soon and you won't get that quiet time again yeah. for a while. So this question may be a little tricky because of the diversity of your four sort of main business units, but what do you think some of the industry challenges are 
that you're going to face? Uh, I think the biggest industry challenge that we all face is disruption. And it's, it's a great buzzword at the moment, but yeah. it's real. And I think this industry, again, stooped in history, you know, 100 years, been lifting cargo on and off ships the same way in some of those for 40 plus years, if not longer. Digital disruption is, you know, the change, the, the speed of change within industry. You know, it's nothing new, right? It's But it's speeding up quicker and quicker and quicker. So the big thing for me has been, again, the one eye on the future, one eye on the present is where are we going with automation? Where are we going with, with technology and digital disruption? Because we don't want to be the victim of the next Apple iPhone of the Nokia, you know, experience yeah. or the the next, uh, you know, taxi of the Uber. So the big challenge is we, we have so much IP in this business, which is a privileged position. How do we use the tech guys to actually disrupt um, mm. instead of being disrupted? So I think that's the biggest challenge. Um, you know, autonomous vehicles, all those things, it's seriously going to change the way in which, you know, we, we, we work. Um, so yeah it's so, an interesting space yeah so would you say that's a, a strategic decision you've made that as a an in, as established industry to actually we want to embrace technology yeah, and, and use it yeah and I think to your peril if you don't um, to your peril if you think you can outrun change yeah. um, change will quickly outrun you so you know the Nokia story is a very interesting one that they actually had the technology they just chose not to use it so yeah you know, uh, not Nokia, sorry, Kodak. Um, you know, they had that digital camera technology. Mm. They just didn't choose to use it. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely embracing technology. So some of the things we've done is bring in futurists into the business. Okay. You know, could you imagine a futurist talking to a <laughs> bunch of wharfies? And, yeah. Um, but, but bring that in to challenge people's thought dynamics. So that's some of the stuff that we're working on. And partnering with people like Telstra around autonomous vehicles and platooning and those sort of things because it's here, it's coming. Yeah. Um, no need to sit at the back of the pack, let's be at the front. Yeah. I'm curious, how did the people react when you brought in a futurist <laughs> to talk to them? <laughs> well, I think when you show them artificial hearts and th- this stuff and it's not just something out of a sci-fi movie, it's real. Yeah. Um, it had the reaction we wanted. We just wanted them to start thinking that, hey, guys, this is here, this is now, embrace this stuff. Um, so, yeah, it blew their minds. There's probably no different to my reaction, you know, when I was in the rail industry, you know, listening to a guy talk about artificial bees flying around and thinking, mate, what are you talking about? We're still running on 1940s rail infrastructure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but the disruption's coming, right? So yeah. no need to be fearful of it. Get out in front of it. Yeah. Um, you know, we have so much wealth of knowledge in our businesses. We should embrace those, but bring in the skills that you don't have. We don't have tech savvy. You've got an IT team, so I've empowered them to say, go and bring the people in, go and get them, go partner with startups, you know, because the one thing startups want is what we got. Yeah. <laughs> one thing we want is what they've got, right? Yeah. So yeah. partner together. Um, it's pretty simple. Okay. So, yeah. Are there any uh, leaders that you look up to? or that inspire you or motivate you? I think, uh, you know, through my time in Asiano, John Mullen was definitely somebody that I looked up to and, you know, to this day still uh, very much inspired by John. And John was just such a approachable, affable man, yet what he had achieved in a business um, was amazing. So 
those sort of people that are very humble in, in themselves. Um, and I think it's fair to say John is a very humble man. Um, and uh, But what he's achieved is through his action. So people like that is who I, who I look up to. You know, again, not to get soppy on you, but my father, you know, he, uh, what he did for us uh, and our family, you know, really just, you know, wish he was still around to see where I'd journey to, but uh, he's not. And uh, so they're the types of people that I look up to. Um, there's obviously, you know, a wealth of great leaders out there, but leadership is, um, it's what you make it. Like, it's got to be personal. Don't try to recreate yourself to be someone else but know your values know your value set and know who you are and be strong in who you are so yeah there's probably personal traits that I take from a whole bunch of different leaders but I I value what they've done in that instance and a lot of that's through bravery you know I love the, the leaders who are brave and will step outside of the the expected answer or the popular answer because leaders are brave. The good leaders are the ones who are brave and they make the decision for the right reasons, not the popular reason. Uh, and if people want to find out more about you or about Lynx Cargo Care Group, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, so we've got a, uh, we, we've got a website. So we're in the year 2000. So yeah. We've got a, <laughs> got a good. website, good. Uh, which is uh, lynx, L-I-N-X-C-C dot com dot A-U. Uh, that has uh, a whole bunch of information about myself, but also our lead team, uh, our four businesses. So a good little snapshot of who we are and what we do. If people want to get in touch with myself, uh, you know, I'm contactable on, on email, a.jones at linkscc.com.au. Um, and happy to field questions and, and go from there. And any last words on leadership you'd like to share with the listeners? No, I think... Uh, the one thing that stood me in good stead is um, just back yourself. Back yourself that that what's the what's the worst thing that could happen in a leadership role that you don't succeed and you take a step back. There's no shame in that. the The missed opportunity is probably more the the shame. If you you let that go, it's almost like a remorseful piece that if you don't take up that opportunity and every opportunity I've taken up has given me more than. I could have ever thought it would have. So be brave, step out in that opportunity and take the opportunities for what they are and make them that. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much, Anthony, for being a a part of the podcast. Really appreciate it and uh, all the best. No problem. Thanks, Julian. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. Uh, see you next time.